Mr. Woodhouse gratefully observed, "'It is very kind of you, Mr. Knightley, to come out at this late hour to call upon us. I am afraid you must have had a shocking walk.' "'Not at all, sir. It is a beautiful moonlit night, and so mild that I must uh, draw back from your great fire. But you must have found it very damp and dirty. I wish you may not catch cold.' "'Dirty, sir? Look at my shoes. Not a speck on them.' Well, that is quite surprising, for we have had a vast deal of rain here. It rained dreadfully hard for half an hour while we were at breakfast. I wanted them to put off the wedding. Being pretty well aware of what sort of joy you must both be feeling, I have been in no hurry with my congratulations, but I hope it all went off tolerably well. How did you all behave? Who cried most? Ah, poor Miss Taylor, it is a sad business. Poor Mr. and Miss Woodhouse, if you please, but I cannot possibly say poor Miss Taylor. I have a great regard for you and Emma, but when it comes to the question of dependence or independence, uh, at any rate it must be better to have only one to please than two. Especially when one of those two is such a fanciful, troublesome creature, said Emma playfully. That is what you have in your head, I know, and what you would certainly say if my father were not by. Mr. Knightley, in fact, was one of the few people who could see faults in Emma Woodhouse, and the only one who ever told her of them. "'Dear Emma bears everything so well,' said her father. "'But, Mr. Knightley, she is really very sorry to lose poor Miss Taylor, and I am sure she will miss her more than she thinks.' "'It is impossible that Emma should not miss such a companion,' said Mr. Knightley. "'We should not like her so well as we do, sir, if we could suppose it.' "'But every friend of Miss Taylor must be glad to have her so happily married.' "'And you have forgotten one matter of joy to me,' said Emma, "'and a very considerable one, that I made the match myself. "'I made the match, you know, four years ago, "'and to have it take place and be proved in the right, "'when so many people said Mr. Weston would never marry again, "'may comfort me for anything.' "'Mr. Knightley shook his head at her. Her father fondly replied, "'Ah, my dear, I wish you would not make matches and foretell things, "'for whatever you say always comes to pass. "'Pray do not make any more matches.' "'I promise you to make none for myself, papa, "'but I must indeed for other people. "'It is the greatest amusement in the world.' "'Mr. Weston was a native of Highbury, "'and born of a respectable family,' which for the last two or three generations had been rising into gentility and property. He had made his fortune, bought his house, and obtained Miss Taylor as his second wife, and was beginning a new period of existence with every probability of greater happiness than in any yet passed through. He had only himself to please in his choice. His fortune was his own, for his son Frank was being brought up as his maternal uncle's heir, it had become so avowed an adoption as to have him assume the name of Churchill on coming of age. It was most unlikely, therefore, that he should ever want his father's assistance. His father had no apprehension of it. Mrs. Churchill, the aunt, was a capricious woman, and governed her husband entirely. But it was not in Mr. Weston's nature to imagine that any caprice could be strong enough to affect one so dear, and as he believed so deservedly dear. He saw his son every year in London— and was proud of him. Mr. Frank Churchill was one of the boasts of Highbury, and a lively curiosity to see him prevailed, though the compliment was so little returned that he had never been there in his life. 
Now, upon his father's marriage, it was very generally proposed as a most proper attention that the visit should take place. There was not a dissentient voice on the subject, either when Mrs. Goddard drank tea with Mrs. and Miss Bates, or when Mrs. and Miss Bates returned the visit. Mrs. Bates, the widow of a former vicar of Highbury, was a very old lady, almost past everything but tea and quadrille. She lived with her single daughter, in a very small way, and was considered with all the regard and respect which a harmless old lady under such untoward circumstances can excite. Her daughter enjoyed a most uncommon degree of popularity for a woman neither young, handsome, rich, nor married. She had never boasted either beauty or cleverness. Her youth had passed without distinction, and her middle of life was devoted to the care of a failing mother, and the endeavour to make a small income goes...